The U.S. government is the world's largest debtor, and as such, it must resist deflation at all costs. This point was exemplified by former Fed Chairman Ben Bernanke in a speech he gave in November 2002, entitled, Deflation, Making Sure It Doesn't Happen Here. In the speech, Bernanke stipulated that the Federal Reserve would do anything in its power to stop deflation, including, but not limited to, driving interest rates down to zero. Interestingly, Bernanke also asserted that a coordinated effort to drive up asset prices could also combat deflationary pressure. Quote, In practice, the effectiveness of anti-deflation policy could be significantly enhanced by cooperation between the monetary and fiscal authorities. A broad-based tax cut, for example, accommodated by a program of open market purchases to alleviate any tendency for interest rates to increase, would almost certainly be an effective stimulant to consumption and hence to prices. Even if households decided not to increase consumption, but instead rebalanced their portfolios by using their extra cash to acquire real and financial assets, the resulting increase in asset values would lower the cost of capital and improve the balance sheet positions of potential borrowers. End quote. For Bernanke, Asset price inflation was not just a side effect of monetary policy, it was a goal of monetary policy. In 2008, the United States verged on the type of deflationary collapse that central banks fear, and Bernanke enacted the planned response he had outlined six years earlier. From September 2008 to January 2015, the Fed engaged in an asset purchasing program that expanded their balance sheet from approximately $1 trillion to $4.5 trillion. Over the same time period, the monetary base increased from approximately $900 billion to $4 trillion. Open market operations of this magnitude posed a problem for the Fed. Increasing the money supply on this scale could push interest rates below zero. As we mentioned in our previous episode, an interest rate is just the cost of capital. If the supply of capital increases substantially in relation to the demand for capital, interest rates fall. If this shift is large enough, it is possible for interest rates to go negative, which is an implicit cost on holding capital. At the time of the Great Recession, implementing negative interest rates presented too many unknowns and was not considered a workable option. For that reason, the Federal Reserve needed a way to ensure interest rates did not fall below zero, while at the same time injecting sufficient liquidity into the banking sector. The solution came in the form of the Emergency Economic Stabilization Act of 2008, which permitted the payment of interest on excess reserves held at the Fed. Banks are required to hold a percentage of their total deposits as reserves at the Fed itself. Reserves cannot be lent out at interest, so historically banks have held almost no excess reserves. That changed in 2008. After the passage of the Emergency Economic Stabilization Act, banks could receive interest on any reserves they held at the Fed. This was essentially a risk-free profit for the banks and incentivized them to hold a portion of the liquidity they received from quantitative easing as excess reserves instead of releasing it into the wider economy through loans. 
From September 2008 to January 2015, the excess reserves held at the Fed increased from $67 billion to a staggering $2.6 trillion. The interest rate the Fed pays on these reserves now sets the federal funds rate, which is the interbank lending rate and is therefore the benchmark cost of capital and, by extension, all other short-term interest rates. Now, what does this have to do with investing in multifamily assets? As we've mentioned in previous episodes, asset price inflation is a function of credit expansion, and the scale of credit expansion is a function of banking sector lending. The extent to which banks can lend is dependent on the size of the monetary base, which is, in turn, dependent on how much liquidity the Federal Reserve injects into the banking system through open market operations. The Federal Reserve added about $3 trillion to the monetary base between 2008 and 2015. However, during the same time frame, excess reserves held at the Fed increased by about $2.5 trillion. That means that only a portion of the total liquidity created by the Fed via quantitative easing made it into the real economy. A large portion of the monetary base created by the Fed is actually sitting idle and drawing interest as excess reserves. These idle reserves represent immense potential for further asset price inflation above and beyond what we've already seen in the last half decade. According to Christopher Phelan, a consultant to the Federal Reserve, quote, Suppose that, for various reasons, households, firms, and banks expect inflation to be high. Given this expectation, households and firms will be willing to pay higher interest rates to banks for loans, since they expect to pay back in cheaper dollars. In this situation, the Fed's interest rate on excess reserves is no longer high enough to induce banks to leave their reserves at the Fed. And when banks convert their excess reserves to loans, they create extra liquidity that generates higher inflation. Thus, the expectation of higher inflation induces the reality of higher inflation. Now, couldn't the Fed, in the face of an increase in inflation expectations, simply increase the interest rate it pays on reserves to a level sufficient enough to induce banks not to convert those excess reserves to loans? Not necessarily, either because the Fed can't move quickly enough or because it faces political constraints on how high it can raise interest on reserves. If banks think that at some point the Fed won't match the interest rate offered by firms and households, then this self-fulfilling prophecy of inflation expectations applies. End quote. The scenario offered by Phelan is just one of the ways in which the excess reserves on the Fed's balance sheet could be released into the wider economy, expanding credit, and by extension driving the nominal valuation of assets higher. From 2015 to 2019, the excess reserves held at the Fed actually fell from $2.5 trillion to $1.2 trillion. Those reserves flowed into the real economy through fractional reserve lending and aided in an enormous run-up in stock market and real estate valuations during the same time frame. The remaining excess reserves represent stored-up energy for continued asset price inflation. In early 2020, the economic crisis precipitated by the global pandemic 
encourage the Fed to engage in further quantitative easing to prevent a deflationary collapse, just as it did in 2008. Much of that liquidity is now held at the Fed as excess reserves. As of April 2020, excess reserves are at $3 trillion, the highest in history, and may continue to rise from there. If and when this liquidity flows into the real economy, the upward pressure on asset prices will be immense. Multifamily owners benefit from the Federal Reserve's imperative to prevent deflation. Credit expansion facilitated by quantitative easing drives down interest rates and reduces the cost of servicing a property's debt. At the same time, the expanding money supply produces upward pressure on nominal valuations and improves investor balance sheets. The Federal Reserve cannot stop deflationary episodes instantaneously, and this means there will be periods of time when asset prices do fall, as they did in the Great Recession. These are excellent times to buy because investors can all but be certain that asset prices will resume their relentless climb upward. As Bernanke outlined, deflation is the greatest threat to our debt-based financial system. The Fed will do whatever it takes to prevent long-term deflation, and these efforts will continue providing upward pressure on multifamily valuations. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Multifamily Economics. If you did, please leave us a review on iTunes, which will increase our visibility and help us grow. If you would like to in- discuss multifamily investing with me personally, please go to the Contact Us page on our website, darbyrosecapital.com. Thank you. <laughs>